Daniel chapter 5. Hear the word of the Lord. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly, loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. 
and you have praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Even though we have gotten all the way through the normal alphabet of hurricanes this season, for us, at least in South Florida, it's been a pretty calm hurricane season. I know it's not over yet, but since we didn't have any hurricanes here in South Florida anyway, we also didn't have one of the customs that accompanies hurricanes, and those are hurricane parties. It's when a hurricane's coming, people get together, and they pool all their food, and they generally go out and buy a lot of alcohol as well, and they kind of hunker down and ride out the hurricane by partying together and eating the food that was probably going to go to waste if the electricity uh, was turned off. Now, these developed before World War II because of three factors. Better storm predictions, so people knew a hurricane was coming, more or less. Also, no interstate highways. You couldn't get out quickly anyway. And the third thing was the repeal of prohibition. And so legal alcohol was abundantly available. So, in other words, if you knew a storm was coming and you couldn't get out, what do you do? You party with your friends. You might as well. That's the attitude of the hurricane party. Now, what we have is that mentality in this text. It seems like this man whom we meet today would have been all about hurricane parties. Uh, we meet this man 30 years after chapter 4. And so we see that Daniel is not trying to give us an exhaustive history. He jumps 30 years and several kings ahead of where we were at the end of chapter 4. And we come up to a man named King Belshazzar, who is described as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, before the second half of the 19th century, the scholars confidently declared that Belshazzar was completely made up, that this was historical fiction, that Belshazzar had never existed. And it, he was never in any other record except in Daniel, so they said he's made up. But since that time, from about the middle of the 19th century, they began to discover other records, ancient records, that lo and behold, talk about Belshazzar. And we find out that Belshazzar, he did exist. The problem, though, uh, for many who will continue to, to criticize this text, they say, well, yes, okay, now we admit that he existed, but he was not the son of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was, in fact, not the king. He was actually the son of the king Nabonidus, Nabonidus. And Nabonidus was the last king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. However, 
Nabonidus, we know this now from these other texts, Nabonidus, he didn't like to live in Babylon. He preferred to live in Arabia, and he reigned for 17 years. And by the way, he got the kingdom with the help of Belshazzar, his son. They knocked off the previous king, and so it was a coup, and they took over. And uh, the dad was older, and so Belshazzar helped his dad knock off the previous king, thinking, well, he would be the next in line because his dad was older. And his dad wasn't interested in being in the capital city, and so his dad retired. He didn't retire, but he left Babylon for most of his 17-year reign. And whom did he leave in charge? He left in charge his son, Belshazzar. And so while he wasn't officially the king, for anybody who was living in Babylon, he was effectively the king. And in addition, there's some interesting possibilities because when you bump off a king, then you inherit all the women that that king had as well. And if you want to extend your kingdom and your authority, you intermarry with uh, the widow or with the daughter. And there's some interesting possibilities that indicate that Belshazzar may actually have been Nabonidus's adopted son, but truly a son or grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And it could be that Nabonidus married into Nebuchadnezzar's family to try to give his reign legitimacy. Or it may simply mean, and this is a common use as well, uh, the son simply means the successor thereof. So we can have, we already knew that because this is the word of God, but we can have confidence in this description of Belshazzar. Now, what was going on at the time? The Persian army. The Persian army had defeated the Babylonian army. So the Babylonian, that was the superpower of the day, but the Persians were a rising star, and they were uh, growing stronger and stronger. They defeated the, the Babylonian army, and Nabonidus, the, the king, he fled, and he left his son, Belshazzar, in charge of the capital, which was the only remaining city left to be conquered. And so Nabonidus was gone, and his son was there, and he was the king of that city. With the enemy outside the walls, what did Belshazzar do? He had a hurricane party, basically. He had a siege party, a party to bring everybody in. It says he had a thousand guests, so it was a huge party. He, the wine was abundant, and the, the people that were invited to the party were his lords, his wives, his concubines, and they were all drinking very, very freely. Now, what he did in the middle of this party, this co-ed, wine-soaked party with the enemy at the gates, he decided to bring in the vessels from the temple. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, we find those vessels mentioned, and we find that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So he captured these vessels, but what did he do with them? He put them in the treasury for safekeeping, which shows some sort of respect for these vessels. But this, uh, this Belshazzar brought these vessels out, and he used them for his drunken party. And not only that, he used them to praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, this may have simply been a drunken, uh, foolish act on his part, or it may have been an act of bravado to try to, to stir up the, 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 his lords and his, his generals and so on to say, 
our gods are the greatest gods. Don't worry about gods of other nations like the gods of these Persians that are pounding on the gate. Don't worry about them. We can, we can blaspheme other gods and nothing will happen to us. But during the party, as they were drinking from these vessels, a hand, a hand showed up and he saw the hand. We don't know if everybody saw the hand, but apparently everybody eventually saw what was written on the wall. A hand showed up. And the king saw that, a human hand, fingers of a human hand. And he wrote on the plaster of the wall, verse 5, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw it, and all of a sudden, the party was over. It says his color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, verse 6. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. And the king called loudly. This is the third time we've heard this, isn't it? Bring him in. Bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. And then he said, read this writing for me. We've seen this twice before with, with Nebuchadnezzar. Now Belshazzar is doing it as well. And he says, whoever shows me the interpretation gets to be clothed with purple. That's what royal people wore. Have a chain of gold around his neck. And the third ruler in the kingdom. Now this is interesting. The third ruler in the kingdom. This is a little detail that confirms what has been discovered that Nabonidus was the king. His son Belshazzar was the, the co-regent or the vice-regent using the title king because he was the effective king of the capital. And so anybody else would have to be, at highest, would have to be number three. And that's what he promised. Well, um, once again, for a third time, the, the magicians, the Chaldeans, the enchanters, they weren't able to do it. They didn't know what it meant. And um, so what happened was the queen... It shows up in verse 10. Now, you might have a footnote, which is an explanation. The word is the queen, but it may have been the queen mother because she seems to be somebody who's older. She also seems to be somebody who can barge into a party all by herself without being invited and can give instructions to the king. And this queen mother may have been related to Nebuchadnezzar, but she certainly knew Nebuchadnezzar. She knew the story well. She knew about his kingdom, and so she comes in with great authority and tells King Belshazzar to, to call Daniel. And she describes Daniel in much the same terms that we learned about last week. He has the wisdom of the gods, um, that the spirit of the holy gods was in him. He has knowledge, uh, excellent spirit, understanding. He's able to interpret dreams, solve problems. And the king named him Belteshazzar. Now, don't get confused between Belshazzar, who is the king, and Belteshazzar, who is Daniel. And that's the Babylonian name for Daniel. And so they bring him in. And then with something of a kind of a dismissive tone, Belshazzar speaks to Belteshazzar, but he uses his, his Jewish name. He uses his Judean name, and he kind of puts him in his place. Now, by this time, Daniel would have been about 80 years old, about 80 years old. And the king speaks a little bit dismissively to him, and he says, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, putting him in his place, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Then he says, the wise men couldn't do it, so if you will do it, then he offers them this big prize. 
verse 16. If you can read the writing, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so then Daniel begins to speak. The 80-year-old man stands before the young king and says, first of all, keep your gifts. Not interested in purple, not interested in, in gold, not interested in being the third highest in the kingdom, but I will, I will interpret the words. But before he does that, he lets loose with a rip-roaring sermon against the king. And he denounces the king to his face. Now, there was some friendly relationships between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that, some level of mutual affection there. We find none of that here. And Daniel had been forgotten, gone into retirement. So here he's brought out of retirement, and he lets loose on the king. After making sure the king knows that he is not for hire, he will not be paid. Uh, he will not give an interpretation because he's being paid. And so what does he do? Basically what he does is he preaches last week's sermon. What we learned last week, uh, what Nebuchadnezzar learned last week, he repeats it. And he says, you knew about this. Well, what did we learn last week if you weren't here? Well, it was Nebuchadnezzar had been warned and he didn't follow the warning. Um, he had a dream and it was about a tree and this tree covered the whole earth and gave it shelter and food. And then this tree was chopped down and a stump was left. And then the interpretation was that tree was Nebuchadnezzar himself. He'd grown too proud and God was going to chop him down. But he was going to leave the stump so that when he repented and recognized that the most high rules over the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomever he wants, even the lowliest of men, even the ox-like men. He, uh, he would learn that lesson, and he would be restored to his kingdom. And so that's what Daniel does. He reminds him of that. Verse 18, O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations' languages trembled, feared before him. And then he emphasizes how great Nebuchadnezzar was. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. He may be putting Belshazzar in his place because it's likely that Belshazzar did not have that kind of authority. So it may be that he's saying, now this was a real king we're talking about here. This was not a vice regent. This was not a co-regent. This was not junior uh, working in place of dad. This was a real king. And when his heart was lifted up, his spirit was hardened. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his kingly throne was up there, but he was brought low. His Reason was taken from him. His glory was taken from him. He lived like a beast until he knew, here it is once again, verse 21, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And here's the application. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his house have been brought in. You have drunk wine. You have praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. End of sermon. And then he says, okay, now I'll tell you the interpretation. And he does in verse 24. Now, the, the problem of the interpretation 
it's not so much that the words themselves were mysterious. They seem to have been common words. And they might have been common words that were used during a banqueting time because they were words about measurement. And during a banquet, when you have wine, you use words like bottle or pint or gallon or whatever it might be. And these were measurement words. And so it may be that the words were, were common enough, but what's the point? What's the, what's the signification? What's the meaning of those words? And in addition, Aramaic, like Hebrew and other languages, use consonants. They don't use vowels. The vowels were kind of put in later, but they were just consonants. And so the consonants in themselves could be interpreted different ways. They could be nouns or they could be verbs. They could be participles, depending on what kind of vowels you put into them. And so what Daniel did is he read the words as passive participles, passive participles. So you have mene, mene, it's repeated, tekel, and parson. And he read these as numbered, weighed, and divided. And basically he said, Belshazzar, your kingdom is over. You are a lightweight, and the Persians are taking over. He says, your kingdom, the days have been numbered, and the time's up. You have been weighed in the balance, and you're a lightweight. You've been found wanting, and your kingdom is divided and will be given to the Medes and the Persians. And that last interpretation is actual, uh, actually a double interpretation, because this last word, parson or Perez, could be translated, could be pointed with vowels, to refer to division, or it could also refer to the Persians. And so there's a very clever interpretation here. It's kind of a double interpretation here, a double play on the third word. And then Belshazzar honored Daniel as he had promised, and Daniel accepted the worthless tokens, probably because, because he, he didn't do it in order to get those, and he knew that they were worthless. And so he said, okay, whatever you want, purple, gold, yeah, third highest, it's all over anyway, so what's the big deal? And then we have the conclusion in verse 30, that very night, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So your days are numbered, and that was the last day. And it was all over, just as there was skepticism about the existence of Belshazzar. There continues to be skepticism about this man who's called here Darius the Mede. Now, according to other accounts of the time, the general Gobirus is the one who conquered the city of Babylon. And Cyrus was the first king of the Medo-Persian Empire. And so the question is, who in the world is this Darius the Mede? There are, there's no other record of this man, Darius the Mede. But remember, for a long time, there was no other record of Belshazzar either. And so people confidently say, well, this is historical fiction. He didn't exist. But there are a couple of theories about this Darius the Mede. They may or may not be right. It may be that, as you know, people had various names. We've seen that 
throughout this letter or this 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 uh, this prophecy, we've seen that that people have different names. So it may be that Darius the Mede was the same as Gobirus, the one who conquered the kingdom, or it could be that Darius the Mede was in fact Cyrus the the Persian. He may have had a couple different names: one uh, a name for the Medes and another a name for the Persians. And it's possible if you look at chapter six. This is getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I'm taking this time to do it, so I don't have to do it next chapter. Uh, verse 28 of chapter 6, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's perfectly legitimate and possible to translate that as, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, that is, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, I don't know if either of those is right, but I'm just saying, sit tight, don't be alarmed by those who say, this is made up. That's what they said about Belshazzar until Belshazzar showed up in other places as well. In the light of our complete knowledge, it's best to accept Daniel's account in the Word of God as it stands and await possible external confirmation if that's forthcoming. Now, there is an independent confirmation of some of the details here about the fall of Babylon. And this is fascinating. And the independent confirmations say that the Persians that were outside the gate knew that a party was going to be held that night. That they diverted the flow of the Euphrates River that flowed right through the town, right through the city. They diverted the flow and uh, were able to wade through the tunnel under the city and were able to take the city without a fight and that they killed Belshazzar, the king, that night. So all of that has been confirmed by other sources. We don't need it to be confirmed by other sources, but it's nice to see that the details that we're finding here actually uh, are confirmed outside of the scripture as well. Now, how long did the Babylonian Empire last? The great Babylonian Empire, the, the, the empire that that arrogated to itself the idea that it reigned over the whole world. It lasted 87 years. That's it. And then, in one night, it was gone. Disappeared. Without a final fight. Daniel and Daniel's God remained, but the Babylon, Babylonian Empire vanished overnight. We have this kind of silly little expression in our family, it came from an incident when I was a baby and my brother was a toddler. My mom was driving us in the car and of course the windows were open. We didn't have air conditioning in those days. And so we get to our destination. Of course, my mom tells us a story we don't remember. And uh, she got to the, wherever she was going and my brother had only one shoe. And so she said, Lee, where's your other shoe? And Lee said, all gone. That was it. All gone. Well, that's that's not a super clever thing or anything, but we have adopted that in our family, and it's very useful. What wasn't there some milk? What what happened to the milk in the fridge? All gone. You know, I thought I filled up the car. What there should have been at least a half a tank of gas in the what what happened to the gas in the car? What's the answer? All gone. All gone. People wake up the next morning after the big party. And they notice that the soldiers in the street are different. 
they're speaking in another language and they're dressed in a different way and they start asking, right, excuse me, could anybody tell me what, what, what happened to the, the Babylonian Empire? What's the answer? All gone. All gone. Overnight. Boom. Gone. Disappeared. Dried up. All gone. This is exactly what we should have expected, isn't it? Do you remember back to that dream of Nebuchadnezzar? In chapter 2, there was that dream of the head of gold and the chest of silver and the loins of bronze and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar tried to hold that off. But we knew it was coming. And he knew it was coming as well. That one day, the Babylonian Empire would be all gone. It's also a clear example of the lesson that God taught Nebuchadnezzar. And what's that lesson? It is repeated at least four times in this book. God gives the kingdom of men to whomever he wishes, even to the lowliest of men. Three times in chapter 4, again in chapter 5. We notice something very interesting. That this is, this is what happens to Babylon. And it keeps happily happening to Babylon in the scripture. The first time it happened was back in the Tower of Babel. Do you remember? They were building this tower. And, and what did God do? He came along and in one shot, what happened to the Tower of Babel and the project that they were doing? What happened to it? All gone. All gone. And then here again, under the, the Persians, they, they just walk into the city without resistance. And the Babylonian Empire, where is it? All gone. And then we go to Revelation chapter 18, which we read already. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast, for all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed her immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Pay back as she herself has done, pay back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix double portion for her cup, the cup she mixed. She lived luxuriously, so give her a measure of the torment and mourning. She says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. Mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God. Who has judged her? This just keeps happening to Babylon. Three times in the scripture, it keeps happening to Babylon. Why? Because Babylon is the model. It's the model for every empire that raises itself up against God. And there are many, many Babylons throughout history that have raised themselves up against God. And the same fate has happened to every one of them. What about the Persian Empire? What happened to it? All gone. What, what about the Greek Empire after that? What happened to it? What happened to the Roman Empire after the, the Greek Empire? What, what about the Han Dynasty? What, what about the, the Arab Caliphate? What, where is it? What happened to it? 
What happened to the Mongol Empire, the, the greatest empire that was ever built? What happened to it? What happened to the Holy Roman Empire? What happened to the Inca Empire? What happened to the Aztec Empire? Even in recent memory for us, what happened to the Soviet Empire? What happened to all these empires? Where are they? Gone. They went bye-bye. They're all gone. Now, why are they all gone? Because they're all Babylon. And one day, the historians are going to look back and ask, back in the 20th century, the 21st century, there was this, this great nation. And it was, a, it was a superpower in its day. What was it called? It was a complicated name, and it didn't seem to fit. United. And then they read the history and they say, why do they ever call themselves United? United States of America. And then one historian will look at the other and say, what happened to that great nation? And what will the answer be? All gone. This is what God does. And why does he do this? We already know from Daniel why he does this. He's building another kingdom. We, we, we know from, from chapter 2 that it's kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. One that falls and another rises and another falls and another rises until when he establishes his kingdom. You see, when Babylon falls, if we were to go on and read in, in chapter 18 of, of Revelation, there are a lot of people that are very, very upset. It's not that they loved Babylon, but they profited from Babylon. And so who are upset in Revelation 18 when Babylon in one day comes crashing down? Those who had invested their lives in Babylon. Those who were completely vested in Babylon, who had given everything to Babylon. And once Babylon had fallen, their lives also were all gone. You see, here we have Another reminder about what's really happening in the world, about what's really important in the world, about what God is doing in the world. He's, he's building a kingdom that will never be all gone. It will stand forever. Now, that eternal kingdom is under the rule of his son. He's establishing this kingdom under the rule of his son, Nabonidus established his kingdom under the rule of his son. And the result was that his son ended up dying and losing the kingdom. The Most High God establishes his kingdom under the rule of his son. And interestingly, the same result, that his son ended up dying as well. But far from losing the kingdom through his death, by his death and resurrection, he established the kingdom. And it's a kingdom that will never, ever fall. And so the question for us is, where's our allegiance? The question for us is, in what are we investing? In things that overnight will be all gone? Or in a kingdom that lasts forever? Let's pray. Oh, God. We build things in this life, and you've called us to do that. And kingdoms aren't a bad thing. Republics aren't either. Occupations aren't. Accomplishments aren't. You made us in your image to accomplish things. 
But we know, Lord, that when these are for our glory, that they are monuments to ourselves, they're Babylon. And they'll be crushed. And they'll come down. Lord, I, I pray that as we look around, that we would see what's really going on, we see what's, what's important, what's lasting, what is eternal, and that we would invest our lives in those things that can never be taken away, in the kingdom that you're establishing, in the kingdom that not only will never be all gone, but will grow and last forever. Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to see, that you would give us the grace to invest, in your kingdom, trusting that you will add everything we need to us as we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We pray this in Christ's name.